Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're going to talk about healing methods. In fact, it'll be two days. We're going to talk about ways that you can receive from the Holy Spirit, the power of God. God heals. We get healed, but it's the Holy Spirit that delivers it to us. But we have different ways we can receive from the Holy Spirit. Join me in the Word of God today as we take up healing methods. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. So great to have you here today. I'm going to be teaching uh, sections of my book on the grace of healing. And I really I want you to get a copy of it. They're going to, the announcer will come on here at halftime and tell you how that you can have a copy of the book yourself. But it's a great teaching. In fact, I don't call it a great teaching simply because I wrote I wrote it from the viewpoint that every book I have re- read might is, is on healing, but it's always faith for healing and maybe a chapter on the grace of God. I really want this book to be really healing from God's viewpoint, and that is he gave it by grace. As much as salvation comes by grace, healing comes by grace, and anything given by grace, of course, we receive by faith. But faith cannot receive what God has not given in grace. Grace is God's full hand reaching out to you, and faith is our empty hand reaching out to God, of which the goods in God's hand are transferred to ours. So we didn't get salvation, Jesus did. We didn't get healing, Jesus did. But when we've come to God with simple faith, we can transfer it, but we need to see it from his viewpoint because if all the praise goes to your faith, then what good is it? God should get all the glory from healing, from salvation, everything, and it comes by the one who gave it is the one who gets the credit, and God is the one who gets the credit. So this book will greatly bless you, and beside chapter three, you'll love chapter, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but you'll love chapter three. And it, it'll, it's like one of those, when you read, you're going, boy, I'm glad somebody finally said this. So chapter three will be a great blessing. That's my secret between you and me until you get it and read it yourself. So anyway, let's go to Luke chapter five. We're gonna talk today about healing methods. God not, hasn't just given us one method. He's given us a number of methods, but I'm gonna start out first of all with this, is that all healing comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, even your faith operates by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything God wants to give to you comes through the Holy Spirit. I like to think of it this way, is God the Father originates the plan, Jesus Christ executes the plan, but the Holy Spirit is the bringer of the plan, the revealer of the plan, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we get healed. It's through the Holy Spirit we get saved, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us at the new birth, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the healing power of God becomes part of our life and literally gets rid of sin and gets rid of sickness in our life when we accept Jesus as our Savior and when we accept the healing power of God. Take a look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. Here, Jesus, in the time when he was going around healing people, notice what it says. It says in Luke 5 and verse 17, it came to pass on a certain day as he, that's Jesus, taught, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by who came from every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Here's the interesting thing. None of them got healed. One man let down through the roof came because Jesus saw their faith of the men letting this man down. This man was healed. Jesus was looking for just one thing, simple faith in him. But the power of God was already present and the power of the Lord is another term for the presence of the Holy Spirit. The stronger the presence of the Holy Spirit, the more you're likely to see gifts of the Spirit in operation, simplicity of faith in the Lord, and the most incredible manifestations of God's healing power. 
And that can come through praise and worship in a church service. You know, one of the greatest ways to introduce the power of God is by a great praise and worship service, songs that uplift God. In the time when Solomon dedicated the temple in the Old Testament, they sang to the Lord and sang to the Lord and sang to the Lord. And because they sang to the Lord, the power of the Lord was present, came into that place, and the priests could not even stand to minister. They were all down on the floor, laying there, passed out under the power of God. We see this happen from time to time in meetings. We call it being slain by the Spirit, but he doesn't kill us. It's just something we're, thro- we're thrown down by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that our, just our natural strength can't keep us up, and an overwhelming power comes upon us, and we fall out under the power of God, and that's happened in the Word of God. Jesus had it when the, when the uh, men came to arrest him. The soldiers came to arrest him and said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, And he said, I'm him. The moment he said, I am him, they fell over uh, on the ground right in front of them. It's like even that didn't convince them. They still took him and arrested him and put him on a cross. But the point of it is where the where healing is, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit is present. And the power of the Lord in Luke 5, 17 is the anointing of the Holy Spirit to meet needs, including healing. So you might as well write it down. All healing comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Any of these methods we mentioned are gonna be methods for us to use, but it still comes back to one thing. It's the Holy Spirit that comes. I've laid hands on people. And this is what I usually see. When a person comes up and you can tell they're very, very skeptical. They're just going to come up. They almost remind me that, that, you know, the one that came up to Jesus and the man that was the leper and said, I know you can heal me, but will you? I mean, it's that same thing. Like maybe I'm not one that's worthy. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe all, maybe all these other people have reached some spiritual point that I haven't. And that's why they're getting healed. And Jesus said, no, it is my will. And reached out showing it's his will to heal everybody. But what's interesting is we can you can go to a meeting like that. And when I've had people stand before me and I'm about to lay hands on, and I can tell they're skeptical. I do this. I said, turn off the thinking part of your mind right now. Don't try to figure this out. Turn off the analytical side of your brain and just reach out and take it. Like a child that doesn't understand anything about birthdays and Christmas, they just see a present for them. They reach out and take it. Why don't you do that? Because healing right now is a present for you. Stop trying to figure it out because your own natural thinking will hinder and stop the power of the Holy Spirit from delivering it to you. Just reach out and receive. The Bible talks about salvation so simple that as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. Jesus said, talking to John, the Baptist, who at that time doubted him, and his disciples came to see uh, him. And we're going to go back and report to John the Baptist in prison. He said, you tell him the blind receive their sight. There it is. Same key word, a simple use for faith is just reach out and receive it. And so what happened was these skeptical people in Luke chapter five, the Pharisees that came, the doctors of the law came with their skeptical religious minds and couldn't see the simplicity of receiving the power of God. And I want you to notice something, the power of the Lord was present to heal them, but none of them got healed, but the power was present to heal them. The blockage between them and being healed was simple, simple faith. Simple faith to just simply reach out and receive it, but they wouldn't do it. But one man let down through the roof. The, in fact, the faith of the four men that brought him, there were five altogether, the faith of the four men that let him down through the roof caused this man to be healed. So let's talk about divine healing methods. There's many of them listed in the word of God. We're gonna be taking mainly just New Testament uh, ones, but we're going to examine the many ways the power of God can enter into our body so that we can be healed. And there's many ways, but it still comes back to this. Healing comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit into us. But there's things we can do in different methods that we can have found in the New Testament to help us in our faith. And so let's talk about those divine
divine healing methods. First of all is the laying on of hands. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 is one of the commands given and is literally part of evangelism. Miraculous healing powers given to the disciples to cause others to be healed was exactly what happened in Jesus' ministry. And that was because many were healed, the Bible says, and many believed on him. When they saw the power of God raising up people that according to doctors was not anywhere near something that could be uh, again healed. These were incurable diseases and yet the people were healed. It says many believed on him. I do want you to understand something. Healing is a temporary blessing. It's for only as long as you're here. And even if you get healed today and it lasts for the entire rest of your life, so what? It's designed by God for a temporary miracle to open you up to an eternal miracle, which is the new birth. The greatest gift from God is not being healed of cancer. It's not living 10 more years. The greatest thing from God is to give you eternal life. And eternal life is often God goes out of his way to not only give it by word, but by deed also, where Paul said in chapter 15 of the book of Romans, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ because signs and wonders followed my ministry from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum. I have fully preached it. Fully preaching the gospel means it's accompanied by signs and wonders. The signs and wonders don't save them, but shows them that if God can heal something which man cannot heal, then they must be able, Jesus must be able, and God must be able to remove your sins, which no one can remove. In other words, the healing of, of the body is secondary to the uh, coming of uh, eternal life to you. And so God will use temporary things to help you understand eternal things. Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs shall follow them who believe. That's the person just born again. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Healing is part of the gospel, the work of Jesus for those who will believe. In fact, Jesus quoted it that this is part of the gospel. In Matthew chapter eight, verse 16 and 17, he said, this was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, that what Jesus did for us on the cross was not only the removing of our sin, but also the healing of disease. This method of transferring God's healing power to the sick is for all Christians to practice. And it says, it shall follow those who believe. I believe in Jesus. Others believe in Jesus. We should start to expect it when we go out to, to witness to people that if there's any sickness in their body, pray for them first of all. And when they receive that healing or that healing comes into them, then now they're open to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This should be part of our daily Christian witnessing to the lost and to the believer as well. I was in a meeting one time and Lester Summerall was there as I was in the meeting, he was in the meeting. But he told a story, he said, we started a church in the Philippines. He said he was my Bible school students and the Bible school students were wanting to start a church. So he said, he told him, let's hear what we're gonna start a church. And what he said was this, Find the night you're going to meet. But he asked, the, he asked the group that was actually there at this meeting, he said, how would you start a church? And so he just pointed to him, how would you start? He said, well, I, I, you know, I'm a Bible school student too. I guess I would, you know, go and put an ad in the newspaper. He said, well, that's good. And he said, okay. And he went, and they said, well, one guy said, well, I, you know, I, I know a, a man at a Christian radio station. I think I would just advertise on there. I'm going to start a Christian uh, church. You know, and he said, okay. And another guy said, well, you know, I think I would go around. I don't have a lot of money, but I could, you know, put posters up in windows and, and staple them onto telephone poles and let them know that church was going to come. He said, fine. But he said, all that costs money. What if you had zero money? He said, these students in the Philippines had zero money. 
They came and because people helped contribute to them to help them go to Bible school, he said, but they had no money to go out and start anything. How would you start a church if you had no money? Dead silence. No one could say, he says, let me tell you how we did it. I simply sent all those students out through all the neighborhoods knocking on doors. He said, and when these Filipinos would open up the doors, the first thing they would say is, do you have any sick people here? He said, in a Filipino house, you can bank on about 90% of the homes have somebody sick inside. They'd say, yes. They said, we're, we're Christians. We're going to come in and pray. They would come in and pray for them and the, and whoever they prayed for got healed. And then they said, we're starting a church on Thursday night. They said the first night the place was packed out. What did they use to build the church? The supernatural. That's what God wants us to understand. We may not have money and it's not, it doesn't even take money to start a church. What it takes is simply to introducing people to the power of God. And they may come to your church because you paid this and brought that and they may not be happy with the church. But if they, listen, if they get healed in their house, they're happy with your church already. And they will come because out of that. When we come back, when the next we're gonna talk about is two shall agree in prayer. Agreement in prayer is so powerful for laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. I'll see you right after the break. How much faith do I need to be healed? Bob Yandian answers this question and reveals the missing ingredient to the healing you've been praying for, grace. Throughout church history, the doctrines of grace and faith have been taken to separate extremes as they relate to healing. The result is that many believers struggle to receive healing from God. Those on the side of grace deny the need for faith, believing that God only heals a select few. For those who only see a need for faith, the pursuit of healing becomes a legalistic struggle to change God's mind. Pastor Bob takes a different approach with practical biblical teaching that balances both elements of grace and faith. You'll find the healing you've been waiting for when you find the missing ingredient of grace. To order The Grace of Healing, visit bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Right, the first we talked about here just before the break was laying on of hands, something that God has given to us. Laying on of hands has existed in the Old Testament and the New, and once in a while by the laying on of hands, uh, the uh, dead were raised. In fact, under Elijah's ministry, Elisha's ministry, and they actually put their bodies on them. And the laying on of hands occurred also, but the laying, actually laid their bodies on uh, a dead person, and that person came to life. So again, the laying on of hands has been around, but not like it's used in the New Testament. And on top of that, 
laying on of hands was usually by kings, prophets, and others of the Old Testament, uh, you know, that God used. But today we stand in that position as children of God and that's been given to every one of us. The moment we're born again, God says to us, we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This power for this is also enhanced and increased when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Lord spoke to them before he left this earth and says, go to the upper room, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, for you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses. He already introduced them to the Great Commission, but now he tells them the power for the Great Commission will come when they go to the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You shall receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Something that happened in the Old Testament to those of rank, prophets, priests, and kings. But the average person didn't have that. Today in the New Testament, we've been given that because we are all kings and priests before God. And we understand that now the Holy Spirit can come upon us. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came on the prophets, such as Elijah, and he outran Ahab's chariot, the hand of the Lord came on Samson. He could do incredible miracles. But the point of it is, is that power that was put upon them could be taken off of them. Today, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by speaking with tongues, which comes after the new birth, Paul said in chapter 19 of Acts, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Some translations said, did you receive it when you believe? Which shows, I don't have a problem with either one of them, which shows when you're born again, you can go right into being filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's oftentimes a time period between the two where you're born again, then later you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's when you begin to move into the supernatural things of God. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when that happens, then you can begin to lay hands on the sick and see them recover in greater fashion. That greater power operating in you, through you, and upon you is used for the supernatural. The Holy Spirit in you gives you life but the Holy Spirit upon you gives you power. And that Holy Spirit in, upon you for power, again, is the same power Jesus Christ operated and he didn't receive power until the Holy Spirit came upon him in the River Jordan. And now we have the Holy Spirit come upon us called by God, born again, but the Holy Spirit comes upon us to accomplish this with signs and wonders. And that was the laying on of hands. So this is something that every believer ought to be able to do and understand, even though you don't know exactly how it works, even after all these years, I don't know exactly how it works. I just simply know that I am connecting God's power in heaven to this person on this earth. It's not me, I'm just a conduit. I'm just the wire that God uses as his power comes through me into someone else. So I'm just obedient. I'll lay hands on them. And at the end of the meeting, if they don't even remember my name, who cares? I'm like the Lone Ranger. I go riding off and they say, who was that masked man? We don't know, but look what he did for our town. And a person might say, who was that guy? I don't know, but look, the power of God came and we've all been set free. I don't get the glory. God gets the glory. I don't get the credit. He gets the credit. I was just obedient to do what he asked me to do and consider it great privilege. Now, the next way, point number two is called agreement in prayer. Two believers can get together. There may not be a pastor around. There may not be an evangelist around. There may not be somebody you have great respect for to lay hands on you. But the verses say in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, I say to you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. I want you to notice he narrowed this down to two or to three. My dad had churches and he was often talking about he just wished they would grow. The first two churches he had ran 30 people. 
and it didn't grow much. We got people saved, but oftentimes we get some saved and some would leave. And so the numbers stayed around the same. And my dad always wished we had more. The third church he had had 60 people and it grew to that. And he, I mean, he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. You know, this thing was the most incredible. I have 60 people in the church. And he saw people saved each week. That was so important to him. But I want you to notice what it says here. Even if just two or three come to church, he says, I'm there. Two means the pastor and one other person. See, that might be your wife, but where two or three are gathered together in my name. He's simply pointing out it doesn't take a multitude to see great things happen. We often think the bigger the church, the greater the power. Well, there was somebody back there in the Old Testament that thought the same way, many more than one, but I think of Gideon. Gideon looked around and when the Lord picked him, he said, well, Lord, first of all, I'm the least in my family and my family is the least in my tribe and my tribe is the least of the 12 tribes. So I'm in the least tribe with the least family and I'm the least one in my family. You have just hit the bottom of the barrel with me. There's nobody in this nation worse than I am. And God said, but you're the one I want to use. Well, the first thing he thought about was we need to have a huge army. So he went and got a huge army and God said, no, now tell you what, take all these ones that you've chosen and have them drink water a certain way out of the brook. Well, only certain ones could go because, you know, were taken because the rest, I'm just reaching down, started, you know, getting the water out of that. No, he said, no, got to be able to do this and watch around you like this and make sure no one's coming. You can't even take a drink without being aware. And that's the ones that were chosen. From there, he even narrowed it down even more to where what happened was he had an army of 300. That's not very many against an army of some 30,000. And so again, just a few, but God can do so much with just a few. Even uh, Abraham had a small army of a few hundred and defeated armies so much further, bigger than him. We have David, a small man that defeated Goliath and even sent all of their soldiers running after he killed Goliath. It's the power of what one or two can do. Here the Lord says, starting with the minimum number of two, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Why do you need a gigantic congregation praying for you? I realize that the more people there, it's a potential. We can have a greater anointing, a greater presence of God. But the point of it is God can work with just two people. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. And what he's simply saying there, if two can agree on anything. Now, the word agree here is very important. If two shall agree, the Greek word is symphoneo. It's where we get the word symphony. And you may be a different, you might be a man and a woman agreeing. You might be an older Christian agreeing with a younger Christian. You might be uh, one that understands a lot from the word of God and one that doesn't know so much. It might be as different as an oboe is from a violin. But you know what? You put them together and they cause harmony. So we could say it this way, if two of you shall harmonize on earth, agree on earth, symphoneo, form a symphony on earth. And that means that you come together, two different people, but you simply put your faith together and your faith bring, produces a sound to God that touches him. And he says, if you agree on anything, anything has to be something in line with the word of God. We have to ask according to his will. But if we ask according to his will, I don't care what it is. He said, if two shall agree on earth as touching anything. And he says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. The presence of the Holy Spirit is there when just two Christians agree. So I think it's important that you have that those that you have a relationship with, such as a husband and a wife, can form the two. You and a Christian friend can form a business partner, something else. If you're both believers, you might call that your prayer team and you make sure before you do, are we totally agreeing on this? Do you believe that God can do this? Yes. Do you believe God will do this? Yes. 
Do you have faith for this? Yes. Then why don't we take our faith and put it together? And we're going to pray for sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. He's about to enter into a ministry. Let's pray for open doors. Uh, she needs healing. Let's pray for healing in her life because it says anything in this verse of scripture. Uh, this one's believing to God to find a good church to go to. Let's pray. They'll find the right one where they're supposed to be and they'll fit like a hand in a glove when they come to that church. Not only will the church bless them, but they can be a blessing to the church by getting involved. All these things are things that it says you can have a prayer partner. And I don't believe this is only when catastrophe hits, when you hear any need around, that you can call each other on the phone. It doesn't even say you have to be standing there together so you can both pick up your cell phones and agree in prayer over it. Agreement has to do also with forgiveness in verse 18, where it's brought out there that we need to have a lack of strife. We need to be in fellowship with God as well as in fellowship with each other and we need to agree in faith. The third one I want to talk about is anointing with oil. This is brought out in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And it says, here is any sick among you. This is Christians. Now we can pray for the sinner and that's part of the great commission and God will heal them to introduce them to Jesus as Savior. But also there comes times when we as Christians, we want to be prayed for. And so James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this, is there any sick among you? This is the congregation. Is there anyone sick among you? Let him or her her, call for the elders of the church. This is church leadership, not even necessarily the pastor. These are those who stand in those that watch over the church, right under the pastor that administrate in the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will, will heal the sick and the Lord will raise him up. This is a good practice in church, in hospital rooms, nursing homes, or when you're sick at home, this is a great practice to have to call people together. But this one says basically when you're coming to church. In other words, you may be at home and I'm, listen, you can stand by yourself and get him. But what if you're a little weak in faith? In fact, it says, let them pray over him, anointing with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Greek word here for sick is not the normal one for sick. It means the weak one. This person is weak in faith. And so they really need someone else to stand over them and pray for them. This is like the man that was let down through the roof. And it says that the Lord saw their faith. Their faith was the four that was letting him down, not the man in the, in the bed. And, and literally he healed the man because of their faith. And you can, listen, if you're weak in faith, if you don't know where you stand and you prayed for this thing, it seemed like you're getting nowhere, man, go to church and ask for the elders to come and lay hands on you. And I want you to notice what it says, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Who is praying the prayer of faith? The elders of the church. You've come and you've submitted yourself to them. Again, like I say, turn your brain off, quit trying to figure all this out and just simply receive what's about to come on you. Trust their prayers over you. And the Bible says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. This is an absolute, doesn't say may or might. It says it's going to happen. The faith of the people praying says the same thing. We believe the moment we touch you, God's power is going to come into you and you're going to be healed. All you have to do is go, okay. I mean, don't figure it out. Don't try to, to analyze it. Just reach out and receive it. This again is a great practice in the church. And I think it's important at the end of a church service, we can even have the elders come up there and say, look, you come up here and, and they're gonna lay hands on you. And they're, listen, they're coming in faith. They're standing here in faith. You need to walk up here with a simple faith as much as you have and just receive from God. The laying on of hands by elders is accomplished with oil. An oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit on Jesus and those who are praying for the sick, anointing with oil is a recognition of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because all healing that comes from God comes through the Holy Spirit. Holy, the oil is something that's tangible. You can see it's kind of like, well, when that oil touches my forehead, 
I'm going to be healed. And you see that thing come. The moment it touches, you receive right there, that moment. So the oil simply represents the power of God. It isn't the power of God any more than communion. Uh, wine represents the real blood of Jesus. It does not. It's a representation. When we come back tomorrow, we're going to take up gifts of healings and talk about those supernatural things that happen by God because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in a meeting where God can heal you through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.